Alrighty, friends, welcome to our podcast. We've just been spending a few minutes talking about some little bit controversial issues going on in modern day. A few minutes? It's been an hour. Politics and stuff. Been such. about an hour. You know, if we had a podcast of just us talking about, maybe we should start a second podcast. We'd all get stoned. Just our wives would listen. Yeah, our, our wives would stone us before the church does. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, what are these guys just rambling about issues? Um, I think it's good to have friends and where we can just openly say things and understand that, you know, we don't necessarily agree to them. We're just openly discussing topics that may be controversial and because, looking at both sides. Because here's my thing. If you don't do that, let's say I believe something, right? And I openly speak about it in front of the closest people to me that I know under, that I know, know my heart as well as or more than others do. Well, you guys are the ones that could say, hey, that's probably not right. Here's a different view. And if I never hear that from the people closest to me, how am I going to know that I'm wrong? Yeah, it's it's called scripturally rebuking your brother with love instead of just criticizing them, condemning them, judging them, which is unfortunately something that we see way, way too often, not just our church, but it, it happens, I think, worldwide probably. And we're talking about issues. I think I think another issue is, and it's kind of actually relative to, you know, what we're trying to do with this little ministry here, but you grow up in a certain church or in a certain culture and your your religion is based off of sermons that you hear growing up, Sunday school lessons that you hear, but you're not in scripture yourself. You don't read it that often. You don't study it. And if you are reading it, you're reading it because you want to complete your yearly Bible reading plan. I mean, I see that every time, especially among the younger um, generation, you know, the, the youth, we grow up on sermons. And when you hear a sermon, you hear humans preaching, you know, God's word, but oftentimes something could be said that's not actually, uh, not accurately portrayed in scripture, or somebody can take a Bible verse and make their own opinion about it. And it happens quite, quite often. And this is speaking from personal experience growing up. I grew up in worrying about, um, what I hear from the pulpit, but never actually diving into the word and saying, let me, let me research this on my own. And, you know, one of the, one of the topics that really woke me up was the topic of communion, you know, what, how is communion view in scripture? Um, diving into that and studying that really gave me different points. And the reason we can assure ourselves that what we're reading, you know, is correct, or we can form an opinion is if you just take scripture, literally, you take what it says and you try to apply it. What does it mean? You know? And, and it's not only one Bible verse that you're supposed to get an opinion. You're supposed to get into context of things. You're supposed to think about who, who it's told back in that day. And you can't always relate everything to your life from the Bible. You know, you have to understand the big picture, I think. And my whole thing with this is, is studying books, studying scripture is uh, the ultimate way to grow in your spirituality and to grow in Christ. And um, it opens more doors in your life to serve. I, I feel like if you just grow up and if you just grow up spiritually on sermons, just going to church on Sundays, are you, how far are you going to get with that? Yeah. And just to add on to that, me, for me personally, um, the more I read scripture, the more I start to realize that in the last, let's say, you know, 2000 years since Christ was born and 
die for us. Nothing changed besides culture. Absolutely nothing. They still had the same false teachers. They still had persecutions. They still had the same temptations of, you know, falling in love with money and personal gain, fame, uh, you know, church splitting. Uh, nothing changed. People, the Jews still didn't like the Gentiles and there were still things, the more um, things were influenced People were still thinking that they can gain their way into salvation by works and just making sure that they try to fulfill every single dot in scripture, which scripture itself says is possible for us to gain salvation by fulfilling the law because we can't fulfill it because we're sinners. And that's why Christ had to come. But to me, it's just, and it's something I convey to the youth all the time is, you know, when you listen to people preach, not just our church, but other churches, whether or you listen to other podcasts or videos on YouTube, how do you know what they're preaching is right, is accurate? What are you basing it off of? Yeah. Unless you yourself are, unless you are immersing yourself and meditating on scripture, you're not going to know. Yeah, the pastors might correct that brother, you know, privately on the side, but no one's really going to tell you, um, hey, that preacher that preached last week about this and such and that, he, that was wrong. They're not going to publicly say that. So it's really, you know, you're kind of on your own, really. Yeah, you have Sunday school, but you only have Sunday school for, what, like 10 years of your life? Um, unfortunately, not everyone had may have parents that, you know, did daily Bible studies with them. Um, I, I didn't grow up that way, personally. Um, we, they, we tried, but things eventually, you know, people started working, going to school, different schedules, and it kind of fell apart. So, yeah, I definitely encourage everyone to make sure that they immerse themselves in scripture, meditate upon it, read it, not just for the check mark of the yearly Bible plan, but to, you know, feed your spiritual soul. I think uh, it doesn't matter who you ask, any of our elders, if you ask them, you know, what should be the basis of my faith, they will say scripture, right? So scripture alone should be our base and every everything that we believe, everything that we understand should be gotten through the scriptures. And um, going back to what you guys are saying, you know, if we're talking about sermons, it's usually um, what someone else has taught us or what has someone else explained to us um, until you you yourself look at the Bible, look at the verse um, in question and come to a thorough understanding of what it means. Um, it's always, you know, oh, somebody else told me that's what it means and that's why I believe it. It's It should always be, it's I believe it because the Bible says it and therefore it's true. And I think to tie it all back to what Alex started off with talking about is I think that's why it's so important to surround ourselves with people who can be honest with us, people who can challenge us, um, people who aren't going to judge us because we may say something out of place. I think that's what's so important about having strong, spiritually strong people around you. And at the same time, you yourself are striving to be spiritually strong because if you hear something wrong, you're willing to challenge your brother and they can understand that it's not out of a place of malice. It's not out of a, out of a hateful or judgmental heart. It's because you truly want to see that brother or sister prosper in their spirituality and their walk with Christ. And if all we're, all we're doing is listening and never actually being pushed in our faith and what we believe, we're just going to sit around and we're not going to progress. We're not going to move anywhere forward. We're not going to study God's scripture. We're not going to have a reason to study God's scripture because it's never being challenged to begin with. So I'm going to just learn the absolute basics, which, you know, is basically mostly what Sunday school does, 
just kind of teaches you about the basics, about the Bible, about the story, just the general, you know, time period of what happened, who, who was involved, the main names, you know. And then after that, most people just stop growing because they're never pushed to grow because they can sit down and just kind of relax. And, and there's no reason for them to progress anymore. And specifically, you know, we our youth Bible study, we're going through Second Peter right now. And chapter two is being led by Serge, actually. And it's all about false teachers and false prophets. And a very interesting thing that Serge brought up last Friday, actually, was how back then, since people didn't have access to God's word, if even if they did, they most people didn't know how to read the people who spoke God's word were in charge of what people were to hear. They picked and chose specific passages so that when the people listened, they didn't know any better. They were hearing God's word, but they were hearing what they were being told to hear. And they were taught what they were told to be taught. And they only knew that much. And they didn't have the opportunity to know more. That's what this is all about. That's why we're here right now, because we have this opportunity to get into scripture, to actually learn it for ourselves and be able to defend ourselves and stand our own ground when it comes to our personal faith in Christ. Quick example, growing up, somebody asked me, hey, what's the book of Noah about? Uh, or sorry, not Noah, Jonah. Um, I'll be like, oh, well, he, God told them, you know, you need to go, you need to go preach to Nineveh. Something about you a fish. To, you need to tell them. And then, you know, he gets on this boat, God you know, gets angry at him. They throw him off the boat. He gets eaten by a fish. Then he ends up going to the city anyway. City gets spared. Pretty cool story. But when we dive into it, we notice it isn't about Noah. It isn't about Ninevites. It's about who God is. That's what that book is about. How much love God has for his creation. You'll never see that unless you study that book, you know? But if I hear a sermon about, um, about you know, Jonah, I'll be like, oh yeah, Jonah got eaten by a fish. You know, that's the sermon I heard. But you got to read it. You got to study it. And then once you get the clear picture, you'll understand Book of Noah is much more than we know. We just know the facts because, you know, it's a story about a, a big fish eating a um, a man and he, you know, he survives. But it's much more than that. And uh, on that note, be a perfect way to transition to our current book that we're studying, Book of Ruth. Before you continue, I wanted to bring up an, an example that maybe the younger people understand better. It's like trying to get to know a person based on their Instagram profile. All you're getting is the highlights of their life. All you're getting is those, those, those snapshots. If you really want to get to know them, you have to be willing to speak to them. You have to be willing to be in that communication on a, on a regular basis. If you don't have that with God's word, if you're not constantly communicating with it and studying it, if all you're getting is snapshots of it, you're never going to really have that relationship. You might think you know who they are, but you don't really know the truth. Context is key. Yes. I love it. When Sorry, you, Serge, were you saying something? I think Serge was saying you, something. You pray to God to give you patience and he sends you Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Either one of the Marks. <laughs> exactly. But, um, transition into our current book that we're studying. I love how um, brother Alex, you go by Alex, right? In English or just Alexi? That's right. I am your brother. Okay. Just brother then. In Christ. Um, he mentioned about how the book of Jonah is not so much about Jonah or the Ninevites, but more about God and uh, it reveals several characteristics about God, who he is, how compassionate he is, how merciful and gracious he is. And I think actually in the book of Ruth, we see the same thing here uh, through Boaz, how he 
uh, treated Ruth, who was a complete foreigner, an outcast, um, an enemy of the Israelites, um, with how much kindness and uh, compassion he accepted her and treated her even beyond what the law of Moses called for. But we're going to talk about that today. Um, Mark, did you want to do a quick review of chapter one? Um, quick review. Uh, Naomi leaves from Bethlehem to go out to the Moabites with her husband and her two sons. Long story short, her husband, her two sons get married, but both her husband or her husband and her sons die. And as a result, we see, um, a very, yeah, very interesting narrative between, um, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, daughter-in-laws, or I don't know how to properly pronounce that or say it. Um, and I think more importantly, we see the how close they had a relationship with one another and how Ruth decides to uh, follow Naomi um, and cast out everything that she held dear, um, even her own family and uh, her culture and religion where she says, you know, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Um, and I think that's when we talked about, you know, that's how we ourselves should uh, be towards Christ, where our entire past is now gone. We should be dead to it, and we should now be n- new creations uh, in Christ. All right. And with that said, we'll go ahead and uh, read chapter two real quick, and then we'll break it down. We'll read verses 1 through 7, do a little discussion on that. Okay. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Thank you, Mark. Um, I think maybe we can start off with just some basic vocabulary and definition. Uh, This word glean kind of comes up several times, um, and just to kind of help people understand exactly what that means. Uh, so pretty much gleaning is being able to collect, well, in this case, it was the time of uh, barley when they were collecting barley, which is a type of wheat. They were Gleaning is when uh, specific people, usually it's the widows or the poor people, they were allowed to pick up uh, or take harvest for themselves from f- other people's fields, usually from the edge of the fields or whatever gets left behind by the reapers. It's usually for people that were not able to support themselves, that depended on others. It was also uh, a law given by God to the Israelites themselves that they make sure that those people are still looked after. 
And so being that Ruth is asking to glean, that kind of shows us their uh, somewhat social economic status right now that they seems like they weren't able to support themselves being that all their husbands have passed away, unfortunately, and now they are trying to survive. We're talking about like lowest of the low. I mean, that's pretty much, you know, you you drive by and you might see a, a person in need standing with a sign would it necessarily be the lowest of the low? Um, I don't think it's the lowest of the low. Because in chapter four, we see Boaz, I know I'm fast forwarding, but he's talking about Naomi selling land that she had. So she still had some possessions. She still had some assets which she could liquidize. She, I don't think they were absolutely destitute, but the fact that they couldn't uh, provide income towards themselves, maybe their um, assets or maybe their money was just being depleted slowly. There was no well, positive. Just to give, just to remember, uh, remind us of some context here. Uh, they are coming back to Bethlehem after ten years, after probably a little bit more than ten years of being absent. Uh, so that land probably was not taken care of. It, you know, we don't really. Scripture doesn't really say. Um, I think the point here is that they were at this time, at least, they were dependent on somebody else. Maybe they owned land, but they couldn't necessarily, you know, sell possessions in order to trade for barley, to eat, to actually eat. Well, I just kind of see it. You're you're picking leftovers, and you'd have to think, you're picking the leftovers of somebody who's actually picking the crop. Mm -hmm. So you're picking up leftovers from, like, an employee, of a field of an owner of the field. Well, so you're just getting the scraps or, or, or do you think this is, was like a custom? It was, it was, it a, was, law. Like a, it was a law. I think uh, Mark had something to read regarding that in Levit- Leviticus. Yeah. Just to put some context to it, what Serge was saying earlier um, in Leviticus chapter 19 verses nine and 10, this is where the law was actually commanded. Um, and there is one other place, but I like the way this specific passage uh, explains it. Verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So in this case, it is mentioning the vineyard, but it applies to the barley harvest as well. And I think that, I think the intent was for, like I said, the poor or like the stranger, people who were out of place, people who weren't in a position to be self-sustaining. And I think, again, if we jump a little bit forward, we see that what Naomi had was kind of, I don't want to say it wasn't hers, but it was more up for grabs for someone else to take, um, which is where, you know, Boaz comes into the picture. But so I think even in that sense, even though she may have had possessions, they technically weren't, I don't want to say they weren't much value to her, but I don't think they really were. So I think she was still falling in that category of a person who was in a, in a difficult place and she needed some sort of support. And Naomi, or not, not Naomi, Ruth was definitely, she falls in the stranger category. She was a Moabite who has no husband and she's coming to Bethlehem. So she definitely falls into the category of a stranger who needs that help. Also a widow, being a widow, that's, that's one of those things that... Um it puts you in that category of being in need because uh, having a husband, we talked about this last podcast, but having, you know, that husband is having that, uh, the, the man of the house, the protection, 
but now you don't have that. Um, so even though she might have possessions, I feel like the widow status there is really not giving them much options. Um, anything else to add to that? No, um, I mean, I just were there any other things that we wanted to define? Sorry to cut you. No, short. that's fine. I think leanings was really the only one. Um, at least in this section. At, at least in this section, yeah. Uh, but I think we should probably continue on. I uh, like. Um, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I like how uh, a new member is uh, introduced here to our cast, uh, Boaz. Um, and it's interesting how he's being introduced is, uh, he is the relative of Naomi's husband. Verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Imelech, whose name was Boaz. And I like in interesting way how he's being referenced here is a worthy man. Um, and going a little forward in chapters three and four, we see how, or even in this chapter, we see how he behaves and he truly is a worthy man. You know, it's interesting. It seems like uh, we just read in verse three uh, where it says, she's, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. It seems like Ruth didn't know who Boaz was or even about him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she got married in, in, a, in a distant place from Bethlehem. I don't know. We don't know if, you know, they were invited or not, but it seems like she didn't know much about him because as, we, as we're going to read later on, when they have this interaction, when she has a face-to-face conversation with Boaz, she, you know, she kind of asks, uh, she will say, uh, that you have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not of your servants. So it seems like she realizes she doesn't know who she he is, but he's very kind and she's very gr- grateful for that. But and and even her conversation later with Naomi towards the end of the chapter, as we're gonna read it, Naomi actually tells her who he is, uh, which is it's kind of very interesting how this all plays out. If reading uh, verses eight through sixteen. Guess we can read and talk about so but then, we're not done with verses one through seven yet i think there's one part we should probably mention about sorry let's continue I've, I've, well there's I i'm mean, in my own mind i mean there's man. there's a lot that we can talk about in verses one through seven i i personally just, we skipped two yeah there's there's <laughs> there's a lot of verses you know like when you really start what we mentioned or when you start digging into scripture you know there's a lot more to it than what we hear behind the pulpit and sunday school and this is, a, you know, for me personally, this is a plain example of that. But um, I, I think was testing you guys. One, <laughs> Good job. One thing that I think is important to point out, um, obviously we see that Boaz, it seems like he's a man of, of God because it says the Lord be with you. And his reaper said, the Lord bless you. So obviously it shows that he was a respectable man. Um, but the fact that uh, he asks about Ruth, this Moabite woman, and how, what the... Uh, person the in charge of the reapers answers is that she's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, "Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers." So she has come. She has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. It's very really interesting to me that she even asks permission. Although by law, Boaz was obligated to allow her without to allow her glean to glean without questioning her. Right to me, that was just very surprising of how just you know, humble and respectable Ruth was towards, you know, people of this land because, you know, 
by law, they had to allow her to glean whether she asked or not. And then the fact that her commitment from early morning and until now, which it seems like it's, it's coming towards the end of the day. That's what it seems like to me. And he says she only had a short rest. You know, her commitment to make sure that her, her and Naomi are provided for, I think that that speaks volume. I think um, it's good. Go Mark. Oh, I just wanted to talk about uh, Naomi's character too. Uh, in verse two, um, she begins her conversation, or Ruth's character, sorry. Uh, she begins her conversation with Naomi, asking her. She's not saying she's going to go. She says, let me go uh, to the field and glean among the ears. And then uh, Naomi responds, go, my daughter. So she was asking for her blessing initially. Um, same thing, as you mentioned, she asked uh, of the servants of Boaz to glean from her field. And that's one thing that I also wanted to point out um, in verse 3. Um, uh, verse 7 kind of answers verse 3. In verse three, there, I had a question initially. I was like, she happened to f uh, come to the part of a field belonging to Boaz. And I was thinking, was she just like walking through a bunch of fields and happened to come across Boaz's field? But that's not necessarily the case because in verse seven, uh, we see that, you know, from the early morning, she was there. So she happened to come along as in she started there. She just so happened to be there. It wasn't her aim. It's not like she was like, okay, here's a connection of... Um, Naomi, I'm going to uh, gain so much, you know, benefit from this. So you don't think Naomi, uh, you don't think Ruth had a plan to meet Boaz? No, you think I don't it think just so. happened? I think it just happened. Yeah, I think it's one of those things because, you know, verse one kind of introduces Boaz right away. So then when it goes into verse two, Ruth wanting to go, it feels like if you don't read it carefully, you might get the, like I did mm -hmm. in the beginning, you might get the idea that um because Boaz was introduced like that, now Ruth has a plan to go to him. Um, yeah. But, I think uh, it's very interesting when you're kind of coming in, into context with the first chapter and how we ended off with Naomi kind of calling out God, you know, rebuking her own name, changing her name, saying that God dealt poorly with her. She says that, you know, I left here full and I come back empty. And we kind of left off chapter one at this very depressing place where Naomi is kind of miserable and kind of hopeless. And now we see this contrast between where Naomi is in her life and where Ruth is taking this. Cause if you think about it, they're not in a very different situation. I, I mean, obviously Naomi lost more, but it's not like Ruth is having a great time either. You know, she lost her husband. She lost her source to a good life on this earth. She left her people also. Like she left everything she grew up knowing. She She's sacrificing a lot. And yet in this moment, we see two different reactions to a, sim, to a very similar problem. And I, I just, one of the notes that I kind of wrote down so many times while reading through this chapter is how the humility that Ruth had going through these difficult times. The fact that, she was willing to just get up and go to work. You know, the fact that just because you're going through a difficult time, it doesn't give you an excuse to just sit around and mope. It doesn't give you an excuse to just start blaming God as if he's, as if he's at fault. Your job is still to get up and go work, to go do what's right, to, to be that kind of, of a, of a good, good kind hearted spirit to the world around her. And I think that, that, that specific verse seven where we're talking about how she was working all day, how I, I think it just shows how dedicated she was, how kind she was, how much she was willing to do for Naomi. Again, we saw how 
how even though Naomi kind of pushed her daughter, daughter-in-laws away, Ruth wanted to stay. She wanted to be there with Naomi because of, because of how much she loved Naomi. And now we continue to see that kindness. We continue to see that love out of Ruth towards Naomi. And I think as we continue to read through this chapter and as we continue to read through the book, we see how God blesses her because she was willing to do something, even though she may have not known what exactly she was doing. You know, maybe she didn't even have that intention, which is kind of what I think we're all getting at here, that she didn't have the intention of, you know, finding a rich guy and marrying him. She was just willing to do what's right. Yeah, we don't know exactly even the timeline as to how long it was after her husband died. Uh, maybe she was still also in the grieving period or grieving process. And if we look at, at the timeline, uh, chapter 1 and verse 22 ends, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then we see here, chapter 2, Ruth, shortly hereafter, during the barley harvest, um, is already out there gleaning the fields while Naomi's um, in uh, this uh, kind of depressed mood. Um, so it also shows that maybe maybe she was feeling some uh, sort of grievance or grieves. She was grieving, but she still put her mind to work knowing I have to be responsible. I have to take care of not only myself, but also after Naomi. Um, one interesting thing that I, if we look back to Boaz um, in verse four, and there was just some quick observations that I saw. Uh, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So um, he wasn't there during the whole time during the harvest. Um, he, we, we know that he was a landowner. We know that he was uh, wealthy. At least we see this here. Um, and he had people that were working under him. He had people that were collecting. Um, they were called reapers. And then verse five, he had a young man who was, or in verse four, he had a man um, who was uh, in charge of the reapers. Sorry, verse six. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers. So one point, one other thing to point, if we also look at the servant who was in charge of the reapers, um, I, I'm kind of reminded of uh, when Christ mentions, you know, about a good master of the house is always ready for, or a good manager of the house or like is always ready for his master to come home. Same thing here. Um, random Moabite woman working in the field, um, Boaz comes, asks, who is this woman? He's quick to give an answer. He's not like, oh man, I got to figure out who this is. I got to make, oh, she's just some random Moabite woman. He knew who she was, where she originated from, um, who she was related to, and he was very quickly ready to give the answer to Boaz. So just looking at that, it's a good example for me as to how ready I should be to give an answer, um, even at my job, to always be diligent, uh, to pay attention to details, but also you know, to always be ready to answer to God. Just kind of a story example in, in modern life. I think, you know, when when you're in kind of like a position of leadership, no matter where you work, you're expected things that aren't necessarily told to you. So, for example, you know, um, you got your higher ups are planning this big conference call, and this happens to me quite often. They're planning this conference call. The employees are going to be on it, but it they don't expect it to be a dead conference call where like the, the head up guy, the, the manager sits there, reads the script that he got together, the notes, and then any questions? No, no questions. All right. Everybody hangs up. Nobody wants it to be that way. So you're expected to get the people together get good questions because you want something to come out of it. What I'm trying to say is like, you're, you're the people higher up of you kind of going back to what Mark said, you're expected to do certain things and 
And this guy was ready. He had information. Uh, you can tell just from that that he ran that place really good, you know. And and the, one of the things about a good leader is you gotta make um, you gotta make something worthwhile out of little things. Like um, just going back to to my job, you have to put forth questions, talk to people, get information out there, so that if you do have something like you know, uh, a conference call that it's a lively conference call. I don't want to go too much into it, but I hope you guys are getting what I'm saying. And, yeah. and I know it seems like this is kind of a, like, why are we talking about the servant? This isn't even about him. We don't get a name. And yet if the servant doesn't answer Boaz properly, Boaz never gets the, the wanting to figure out more about Ruth. Like he never gets that. His eyes never gaze towards her any more than they already had. If the servant doesn't answer him properly and tell him what he knows about Ruth. And so this whole story gets kicked off because of what, what Alex and Mark were talking about, about this good leadership, about always being ready, about being prepared, about just doing what's required of you, even when it's not necessarily asked of you. All of this happens because this servant kicks it off. He, he gets Boaz going in the right direction. Yep. I think uh, that's probably... Well, I have one more observation, just quick. Okay. Uh, Boaz himself doesn't know who Ruth is. Um, it's interesting just thinking about now in our lives when um, a relative of ours is going through a hard time. We'll at least reach out. We'll talk to them. But just by looking at Ruth, he doesn't know who she is. At least maybe he's never seen her up to this point. And he's only asking who she is because he sees her. I, I don't think her actions are playing a big part yet. I don't think uh, he's seeing I, that she's gleaning and then he's like, to, to me, wow, it she seems gleans like, really good. It seems like Boaz knew his regulars that were gleaning at his field and it seems like yeah. he noticed that she was not a regular and questioned. That's a good her. point. So, But I think um, there's a lot more we can discuss in the first section, but I think we should probably move on to verses 8 through 16. But it's so interesting. It is, but so is the rest of the Bible. <laughs> Aren't you happy we have so much time on this earth to read it all? Do we though? Who knows? Um, 8 through 16. Mm -hmm. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it to her. Leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. There's a lot of things we can talk about here. Oh yeah. Um, 
just quickly, I'm just going to pretty much state the overall arching theme that I think is very prevalent here. And we can start going into a little bit more details into the smaller parts. But it seems like Boaz here is, or God is really revealing a several characteristics about himself through Boaz. Uh, being kind, he's very accepting of Ruth, even though she's a f- complete foreigner. Uh, he's offering her protection. He's offering her uh, providence, providing for her and her family, making sure that she's provided for her. Uh, he instructs her to make sure she doesn't go to anybody else but stay in his fields uh, because that's where the protection is and that's where she's going to be most provided for. And we see here in verses 14 through 16 where he even invites her to have a meal with her, right? He's, um, if we, I just want to quickly read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 5 through 10 as to why he's kind of acting the way he is. It will kind of put some more uh, context into this. So in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 5 through 10, uh, it says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has, sorry, wrong passage. (laughs) That's for the next chapter. But um, it was, um, like we already mentioned earlier, it's, it's Leviticus where I wanted to actually refer to back what Mark read earlier about uh, allowing people to glean in your field. Um, you know, by law that they were just supposed to just allow them to glean the corners of the fields. Um, and that's kind of pretty much it. But we he- see here that Boaz is going above and beyond, uh, just like God does a lot very often for his own people is is... You know, it's he didn't just give them salvation, although that's already going above and beyond what God, you know, what God's given us today, salvation through Jesus Christ. That's already above and beyond. But He's blessing us, you know, financially. He's blessing us with health. You know, He's blessing us uh, with families, and you know, the list just goes on. He doesn't have to do those things, but He does. And we see here too that Boaz goes above and beyond the law that was given to him, him about just allowing foreigners and the poor to glean from the corner of his field. He's allowing her to, you know, have meals with him. He's allowing her to get water. He's allowing her, uh, making sure that she's able to glean where she's technically not allowed to glean, which is among the sheaves. And the fact that he's commanded his men to actually take bundles off from the sheaves and actually throw it for her so she can glean. And to me, that was just a really big eye opener, just how kind Boaz is really treating her, you know, she didn't deserve any of this, but it's interesting that he he has heard of her, even though he've asked of her. He said, he's, he pretty much says everything about her, how uh, in verses 11, 11 uh, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law. And he goes on about that, you know, how she left her family, how she left everything that she knew, what Mark already mentioned. And she sacrificed pretty much everything for her mother-in-law and, Things like that that you think are done kind of in secret, they don't really go unnoticed. And God will, you know, to me personally, it opens up that God sees your heart and he will bless you for that. But there's a lot of things we can talk about here. You guys can go ahead and take it Could away. Could you say that Ruth, in her act of gleaning, um, all the stuff deliberately left by Boaz, uh, being, um, you know, like a believer that's gleaning the spiritual food, that's left in scripture. That if you take some, God will provide more for you. Are you trying to... That uh, if you indulge fully in it, you will get more and more from God as the provider. 
That's a tough question. I don't know. I don't know if we can really relate this to spiritual. I don't. I don't either. No. Uh, I initially, and here's kind of, I'll be honest with you guys. Initially, I looked at Ruth, not knowing, not reading this um, as thoroughly before. I thought she purposely went towards Boaz's field. Same thing here. I thought Boaz had a fancy for her, saw a young woman, and decided, hey, you know, she looks kind of pretty. I'll give her some extra stuff. Um, but it's interesting where um, he knew of her, right? We mentioned before that he didn't know her face, but he knew of her. And like you mentioned, um, he knew his regulars. So when he saw someone that he didn't notice, um, and then he asked first, he didn't be, he didn't act, you know, hey, look at this good-looking woman. Um, not not saying that she is or was, we don't know, uh, but he didn't act after seeing her. He only inquired who she was after he knew who she was. Then he enacted, um, gave directions to his men on how they should behave. And uh, his reasoning behind it is verses 11 and 12, I think. Again, I'll just read it real quick. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." It's interesting how Boaz recognized that she didn't come to take refuge under him, right? She didn't purposely search for Boaz, but she came to take refuge under the Lord. And him being like as a minister or um, of whom, you know, the God, the Lord blessed, uh, he was in possession of certain assets that God gave him. And he thought that he could have been like this um, agent that could bless her as a result of the Lord, maybe. If you look at, you know, verse 12, specifically, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And therefore, he himself is also uh, extending this blessing, extending this um, good deeds towards her because of how she behaved towards Naomi. So question then, do you guys think he was kind of going along with what you're saying, though? But do you think he was doing this purely out of a, out of a spiritual place because he saw the goodness of Ruth and he just he was just like you said, God's agent? Or do you think there was interest in Ruth? You know, do you think there was more to him kind of seeing her and being interested in her in particular? I think her character is what beautified her and what, because, you know, like you might, the phys, you know, liking someone physically is only one thing. When you find out their character, it could be a complete turnoff, right? Um, I'm sure we've encountered people like that. Not, I'm not saying just because out of love, but just out of regular friendships, you know, some person might seem cool to get along with on the outside, but when you find out their character, it's like, well, I don't want to be friends with this guy. He's, he's a complete, you know, not, not something that I should be a friends with. But, and I think here is that when he inquired of her, he found out who she was, what she did, you know, I think that just added, I assume probably added to her physical beauty, her character. If she, I'm pretty sure, you know, for him to kind of notice like that, not that she wasn't a regular, but I think there was a physical aspect probably. It's. I think like chapter more. three answers it a little bit more too, that there was a certain age difference between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he had any sort of, you know, thoughts about that she could somehow repay him or uh, marry him. I think uh, in verse um, 10 in chapter three, we'll probably read it next time. Oh, hold on. 
May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, that you have gone not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Um, so I, th- I think even in his mindset, it wasn't something that, you know, he was thinking of as far as, oh, this could be an option. Um, he thought he, he, in his mindset, maybe he was thinking she was going to marry another young man. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that first and foremost, he probably was acting out of the kindness of his heart. Yeah. I mean, just seeing the way she reacts to him and the things she does, just verses 8 through 11, you know, he tells her, don't go to any other fields, stay here. Um, and then he says, you know, let thy eyes be on the field and do reap. And then um, when you need a drink, when you're in thirst, have a drink. But then we see in verse 10 how she reacts. You know, she fell on her face. She bowed herself to the ground. And she kind of acted in a, in a humility uh, way by saying, why have I found grace in your eyes? You know what? You don't even, you don't, you, to you, I'm just a stranger, you know? And then in verse 11, he answers her and he says, um, it hath fully showed me. So you're, how you treat and how your relationship with your mother-in-law, that has showed me something. So I think through that, um, he kind of rewards her. And kind of what I was going, I don't know, I'm, I might be just repeating exactly what Mark just said earlier, but I mean, what I'm kind of going back to, what I meant to say earlier is um, if we show that humility, if we if we show that action, if we indulge ourselves in the word, I think... Um, just, I'm not, I wasn't saying that, you know, Boaz was uh, a God in her eyes. That's not where I was going with this. I was kind of saying if we, if, you know, I don't like to compare too much, but if we compare, <laughs> if we compare, you know, our life, if we do indulge in the word, if we do indulge in serving God, do you guys not agree that God would give us more and more and not necessarily in reward to us, it would be a reward to do more, I think. Um, but he would, prov- he would provide for us. Um, exceptionally. Well, I think that's, that's kind of where I was going with that well, is because of, but you, we talked about this right before the podcast too, about prosperity gospel. That's not necessarily, you know, just because we do things for God doesn't mean that he's going to bless us physically um, in a spiritual sense. You know, I believe it is true. What you reap, you know, you will sow. So what kind of blessing though? We'd have to get into that. I mean, it, I'm not talking about you're going to be rich or um, you're going to be the smartest. Good health ever. isn't a promise from God. Good health. I'm, I'm talking about to, to, to a true Christian, I think a reward is not something physical all, all the time. It could be something spiritual. Wisdom could be like a really you know good reward. He, he will provide enough, if not more, in terms of what you need to fulfill what God wants you to do in terms of, you know, serving and living for God, whether it is to be, you know, to start a new ministry or to open up a new church, you know, I'm, I believe that he will provide those kind of funds that kind of help, that kind of support, that kind of guidance um, that, yeah, obviously, you know, everyone has a different path in scripture. Remember when um, there was, uh, what was it? A, a crippled person that Jesus healed and the Pharisees asked, was it his parents that sinned or he sinned? When he was mm-hmm. born that way, and he said it was neither. It was it was to open up, you know, something for specifically for the unbelieving Pharisees, right? So we do know that people aren't always blessed financially, you know, health or in terms of health, just because they are believers, right? Sometimes it's God will 
allow people to suffer like that so other believers can, I don't want to say be tested, but can. Another example I think is good is Lazarus, right? When we see um, Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick, he doesn't go immediately. Um, And then when he's talking with his disciples, um, he finally, he's kind of being scriptic, saying he's asleep. And then he finally says, Lazarus is dead. Um, and then he, the key words, I think he says there, and I'm glad that for your sake, I was not there so that you may believe. Um, and then you think about it from that perspective, Martha and Mary losing their brother, going through all this grief. Christ was not there because, well, he says, I'm glad for your sake, for the disciples' sakes, that he was not there so that they may believe in Christ, so that they may believe in God. Um, sometimes, you know, calamity happens in our lives. Sometimes things happen. Um, so that God may be glorified, not, you know, because we are deserving of it. Rather, he is um, feeling towards our pain. He's understanding, uh, but he gives us the strength to carry on uh, so that his name might be glorified and so that others may believe in him. The, the whole reason I brought this up, and I don't want to, you know, keep beating this subject, but I was thinking of, ver- you know, Psalm 119, um, few verses came into my head, like I found it here. I even noted it. Um, if you go to Psalm 119, you know, in verse 161, it says, Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. So rejoicing in God's word um, is a great spoil. And I, and I wanted to say spiritual spoil, if you guys know what I'm saying. You get, you'll get uh, spiritual rewards from God, I think, the more you indulge in his word. And that, that's a reward to, to a Christian is spiritual reward. I think the reward... Not necessarily Do you think that reward is, is, not, is knowing God more and that relationship only grows? Do you think that's the reward he's referring to? Or that you're specifically... That's what I'm referring to. I feel like that's that should be a reward. But it's not like you get spiritual fame that everyone knows you because yeah. you're some... And again, this is a little far reach, you know, going going back to Ruth, I think if we could just go back on topic, I, I just kind of had that, you know, in my head about uh, there's a reason he was rewarding her and, um, you know, she kept going back, she kept gleaning and, and that's an important part of this whole chapter. I think what's interesting is he keeps on rewarding her. We see an initial reward. She bows down to him. Then he asks her. Um, because she never down. asks, right? Well, she never asks. Yeah, he, I think based on him observing her even more, he starts taking a liking towards her even more. He asks her to sit down and eat with the reapers and to even dip her bread and or morsel into wine. Um, and then he goes even further after that uh, in verse um, 15 through 16, right? He instructed his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Not only, you know, the stuff that's left over, but the stuff that's re- they're currently in line for. Mm-hmm. Don't reproach her. Don't don't tell her not to do it, right? And then even drop extra. And so it's just yeah, interesting how he keeps pretty on. Pretty much open his fields up for her mm-hmm. completely. And I think that's kind of tying it in with what Joshua was saying, Alex was saying, for our American listeners. I think that this spiritual spoil that he brought up, um, I think it's true. I think God sees our faithfulness. And I think as we read that if you're faithful in little, you'll, he'll entrust you to a lot more than that. I think what we need to be clear with is that it's not always what you think it's going to be. And I think in this case, 
We it, see it can't be an intent either. You can't be. You can't yeah, do it with the intent. It, yes, with and, the and intent. I think that's what Ruth is showing. Such a great example of. Right. Like I was saying earlier that she. I don't think she had any intent. Like Mark kept specifying that, like she didn't know she was going to Boaz's specific portion of the field. She had no intent to like look for a blessing or to look for some sort of like pity or or charity. You know, she did it with the intent of helping herself and Naomi, and because of that, she was blessed. But I think. Again, if you look through scripture, there are times where God blesses someone and it seems like, wow, that's so awesome. I want to do that. But then we also read about people getting stoned for their faith. You know, we read in in Acts about Stephan who was stoned because of his faith. And that's also a part of that spiritual growth that we're talking it's the about. Suffering. It's it's also a part of it, you know, and, and you have to be careful because it's not all great for us if you want to grow. If you want to grow, God will give you that. He will, I think that he's 100% ready to give you more of him, to open himself up more. We just need to be prepared for what's to come when that happens. Speaking of opening himself up, uh, seems like in the last section, if we read it together, Naomi opens up quite a bit about who Boaz actually is to them. Do you guys want to jump into it or? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's finish, finish it off. It. Okay. You can max delete that part. <laughs> that was just a question. Okay. I just didn't know how close to time we were. Pretty close. Okay. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Verse okay. 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go with, go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Thank you, Mark. Serge, what's a yefa? Um, it's a, it's a unit of measurement. You mean an epa? Um, I'm not going to go into pronunciations of correct or wrong, but, uh, pretty I much it it's, uh, about 22 liters or 5.5 gallons, supposedly in terms of, you know, just to put it in perspective, that's how much barley she was able to harvest after she beaten it out, meaning like took off, um, just kept the grain part for herself. That's actually usable. That's about how much she collected in one day. I have a little note here too. It's a lot says, of food. Um, it's a lot of work. Epha was 10 omers, and an omer of mana was adequate for the daily need of one man. So, you know, Boaz's generosity is kind of measured out because he gave handfuls of purpose. So whatever he left her was 10 times the daily need of what she needed, if not more. Yeah. So there's a lot of... My footnote says that it was, for her, Naomi, it was about two weeks worth of provisions but you know of course they didn't really it was just the two of them so i don't have a footnote 
But um, yeah. Do you uh, even study Bible, dude? But uh, that's besides the point. Um, I think here, a very interesting point. Uh, there's a lot that we can talk about in this section, but um, there's an interesting point here that Naomi mentions that he is a he's one of our redeemers. What do you guys think that means? He's one of our redeemers. Serge, I think you know what it means. Why don't you tell us, Serge? You so she knew. Questions. So she knew at, at this point she knows. I think Naomi knew of Boaz the whole time. Um, I don't think she knew that Ruth went, to, that she was gleaning there, you know. Do you we, think she was being sarcastic in verse 19 then? No, I don't think so. Or rhetorical, because not if sarcastic. You, if, you, uh, if you read your Bible, you will know that there's laws that God put in place to make sure that if uh, the a family has no uh, male figure to continue the family line, meaning that if, uh, like in Naomi's and Ruth's case, that uh, their husbands died and they, specifically Ruth, no longer has children, can't have children anymore. So therefore she can't continue her family's family or her husband's family line. So God put laws in place where uh, f the closest relative was supposed to go uh, marry her and continue her brother's family line so that he can have a heritage. Uh, and so that's one way to interpret the fact that Boaz is a redeemer because she mentioned that he is a close relative of theirs. Uh, obviously, we were going to read later on in scripture that he is not the closest. Uh, there was another kinsman that by law was supposed had first right has first right to marry Ruth, but we're going to talk about that much Ru later. Ruth followed certain instructions of Naomi throughout this chapter. We kind of mm -hmm. see it. And then we kind of see Naomi asking her certain questions. And, and you think to yourself, well, other than just for small talk, why does Naomi want to know how much she gleaned, you know? And, and um, then she also asks her, you know, um, Mark, verse 19, what's the second question? Where did you glean today? So and where have you worked? So she asked these questions, right? And then um, it's like she knows something. But it, what I want to point out is, she asks this, she gets her answer, and then she thanks, she gives all glory to God first in, in verse 20. Um, it says that Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who, and to, uh, who had not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And then Naomi said unto her, the man is near kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. So what I'm getting out of it, I feel like she did know that's why she asked certain questions. What do you mean? Well, what I don't know she if she know? knew. I think she saw that it was an unusual amount. Yeah, I think uh, she knew so that. She started noticing maybe? Well, well it, it seems like she knew that how much you're supposed to, a typical woman would gather in a day's worth of gleaning. And it seemed like Ruth came with more than what a typical a woman would gather. A noticeable amount more. Yeah, a noticeable amount more. That's why she says, blessed is the man who took notice of you. And then she asks, you know, she obviously starts asking questions because she, um, it's only then after that, that Ruth actually says, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz, right? So that's already after she noticed and said, blessed is the man. And then again, she says, you know, blessed is, you know, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, right? So I think when she realizes that it's Boaz, mm -hmm. I think 
Um, it seems like the fact that she says the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, mm-hmm. it's, to me, it feels like she's starting to get a glimpse of hope again. Because it seemed like when she came back to Bethlehem, she said she's all empty. Yeah. Because her last sentence, right, was, you know, the Almighty has brought calamity yeah. upon me. Hence why she changed her name as well. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it seems like she's starting to see a glimpse of hope here, being that Boaz cannot only provide them with food, but it seems like there's a possibility of a bright future here. Mm-hmm. Not to go into too much detail. Yeah, but I think it's also interesting how um, she herself probably knew that uh, or realized that he was doing it because he was not um, forgetting the living or the dead, right? Uh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. May uh, he be blessed by the Lord, as in Boaz, mm-hmm. um, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Yeah. Seems like he's he's ready to take care of his... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know if uh, his relatives. Yeah, and I think she's also jumped to the conclusion that the reason why Boaz was kind to her was because he knew um, he was a close relative and he knew, um, again, what we just read in verses 11 and 12. It's very interesting to me, now that we're talking about, I never mentioned this, noticed this before, but Boaz never really opened himself up to being a relative to Ruth specifically. Oh, that's a good point. And that, that's, yeah. God is great. <laughs> it's mysteriously great. Well, my whole point was I think Naomi knew who Boaz was, but what I meant to say is she didn't she didn't necessarily know where Ruth was working. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Ruth told her, because she noticed of how much extra she was bringing in, Naomi shared that with her. Mm-hmm. And and I what I see by that is I see at the end of this chapter is their rejoicing of, of them both. You know, they're. They're, I think they're seeing that things are starting to look up. And not only that, we see Naomi saying, you know, it is good, my daughter, that, that, that thou go out with the maidens. And it seems like things are starting to look up and things are going to plan and they both have that agreement. Um, a lot different from chapter one. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, bitterness. and. Yep. Um, I think uh, one thing that we also were talking about a little bit earlier, just to point uh, at it um, in verse 22 when she says, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field uh, you be assaulted. So I think there was a you know constant fear of maybe not necessarily being safe, mm-hmm. um, especially for a lone woman to just be working out in the middle of a field. Yeah, and it's also interesting, as you mentioned about safety, in uh, verse 12, but this is Boaz speaking. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by God, by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he's at the same time, he's not saying that he's protecting her. He's kind of giving all credit to God that God's the one that's actually protecting her. I might, he might, I might be the one that he's using to do that, but in the end, it's God is in control of everything. Do we have time to maybe talk about something? So I want to ask you guys a question. Um, this is more just general discussion about the book of Ruth. So I think you guys are all aware that the book of Ruth is very often used as like the building blocks for like finding your perfect husband or finding your perfect wife. You know, like every girl is looking for her Boaz. Every guy is looking for his Ruth. It's a scriptural chick flick, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I've heard it said before. It doesn't seem like 
we're getting much of those kinds of vibes right now, right? Is it just me or does it not seem that like poetic as it as we were as we're sometimes pointed towards it being? It doesn't seem like it was, you know, Boaz is sitting on his white stallion and he sees Ruth, this beautiful, kind-hearted, humble person in the distance, and he just rides towards her. Like, do you guys get what I'm saying? Do you I guess my question would be, why do you think we take that perspective then? I think it's... Why is Jonah about a fish and a man? That's all the most people get out of it. I think it's it kind of goes back to what Alex mentioned earlier about what we grow up with hearing and listening to instead of personally reading. Um, I think plays a big uh, is a big factor in terms of how we understand Scripture and what we actually know historically of what happened. I see God acting in the background. That's what I'm starting to learn from this is through actions and faith of certain people, not even directly towards the Lord, but, but to each other through that and what through that they do, God works through them to, to bring a better outcome so far, at least. So maybe the lesson we could take, if we are going to try to relate this to, Christian couples and relationships and what you're supposed to look for in your spiritual significant other is maybe this isn't so much a story of, of relationships of love. It's more of a story of faithfulness, regardless of your position in life. And maybe what we should be looking for in the other person isn't their infatuation with us, but it's their, their love for God. Their, their desire to be faithful to him above all else. Because this chapter specifically, we get into it a little bit more with chapter three and four, but in this chapter specifically, I was very excited when I was prepping for this to get into that. And then as I read, I was realizing that it's not that romantic. You fell short. You're yeah, like, you, it's not as romantic as it seems. Boaz isn't as infatuated with her. He's genuinely just being a good, a good moral believer in God. And same thing out of Ruth's perspective. She's not necessarily looking out to try to get married. She's not looking for a husband. She's just doing what is right. And maybe that's something we should take for ourselves in our own day-to-day lives, not to look for those things that just, they really don't help you, especially in terms of long-lasting relationships. You're supposed to be looking for that faithful other, that person who puts God above all else, including you. And that's in in that way, I think we're going to read in chapter three and four. I think in that way, God blesses us in our relationships, in our pursuit of finding that significant other in our lives. Um, I think just if we were to look at um, what you were talking about, about relationships, um, a good quote, I think it was by Spurgeon, but he said, um, a friendship begins when two people find something in common. So when two people find something in common, that's when a friendship begins. And I think um, here you mentioned their, what they both had in common um, was uh, a fear for God, um, spe- specifically Boaz. We don't necessarily see Ruth. We see that she says, your God will be my God, um, but she behaves in a godly manner. Um, and I think in any relationship, especially in a relationship, a romantic relationship, a marriage relationship, your number one foundation should be God. Um, Cause you know, that's if, if there's, if your number one foundation is looks, looks fade away. If your number one foundation is you both have a good job, jobs go away. You know, if your number one foundation is you guys are both healthy and you both love to travel, uh, limbs can uh, fall apart. 
So same thing here, you know, um, if your number one foundation is God, anything that's earthly, be it, you know, it'll pass away. God will remain forever. Um, and that relationship will last forever. And action, action is something you need. You need to move forward. We talked about this in earlier of this chapter. You need to continue on no matter what life brings at you, whether it's, you know, something so, so, uh, difficult for Ruth and Naomi was the death of their husbands, but you got to keep moving forward. And by doing that, you're going to, you're going to move forward, not only with physical life, if you're moving forward in your spiritual life, God, uh, God will, uh, open new avenues, new doors for you. And you will just, you will, you will eventually, um, be better off. And it might not be financially, might not be with health. It might not be things we look at, but you will be spiritual, spiritually. Your source of satisfaction is going to change. Right. That- you are now going to be satisfied with spiritual things. And, and I think, I think um, you need to get to that point. I don't think you have that right away. This is something you grow towards. Would you guys agree? Yeah, I think it's interesting that in this chapter, neither of them were pursuing a relationship either. It's not like, you know... Um, Whereas, you know, somebody would say, oh, I need a Boaz. A, he's got to be rich. B, he's got to love God, you know? And so therefore they look at all the potential candidates and then start thinking, God, is this the one? Whereas in them, they went about their daily lives. They kept, they were doing what was right before God. Um, and then um, romance springs after that, they weren't seeking a romantic relationship. Amen. I think we can wrap it up at that. We hope you join us next time. Mark Jr., do you want to uh, finish off with a prayer? Yes. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that you give us to open up your word, to study your scripture. Lord, I'm so thankful that we live in a time and place where your word is so abundant in our lives. Lord, I'm so thankful for all the opportunities. Lord, I ask you to forgive us that we take advantage of this freedom that we have, Lord, that we don't we don't use it enough. We don't put it to use in our spiritual life, Lord. I ask that you help us as we continue to open up your word, as we continue to study your scripture, Lord. I ask that you help us grow in us, help us to understand you better, help us to be more active in our lives, Lord, to be better believers, to be a light to this world around us, Lord. Not because there's anything good in us, Lord, but because you are the light in us, Lord. I thank you so much for that. I pray for everybody who is active in this ministry, Lord, all those who are listening, I pray that you be with them, that you give them guidance in their life. Open yourself up to them, help them to see you more and to have that relationship with you that is just so much more deep than we can understand, Lord. Thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.